I'm so glad that all of you are here. Uh, glad that you could glad that you could be with us this morning. And we're starting a new series of messages today, and it's going to last today through the end of July about spam. Now, now, if you grew up when I did, and, and maybe even if you didn't, but in the late '70s and, and the early '80s and all, we ate a lot of spam at my house, and uh, and spam was awesome. And uh, if you've never had spam. Don't knock it till you tried it, all right? I can't tell you the number of people that would be like, you eat Spam, and then they try it, and they go, oh, you know, it ain't too bad. And um, in, in fact, uh, Spam was awesome when I was a kid because you had to have a key to open the package. Does anybody remember that? It came in a can, and it had a special key on the bottom, like it was some kind of secret portal to, to great food or something if you got this key. And we used to like to keep the key because then I could lock my door from my bedroom door from the inside and stick it in the hole on the outside. And, and so it was like I had a key to my own room, which I thought that was cool. And uh, now my wife grew up in Traveler's Rest. And, um, and over there, times were hard and they couldn't even afford spam. They had to eat treat, which is like a level below spam. And uh, that's when you know. I'm serious. I was talking to Sherry about spam and she said, you know, we always had treat. And I was like, man, I didn't know things were that bad when you were a kid. But... Uh, but, but now, in the, in the 90s, the term spam changed. Uh, it, it wasn't just a delicious meat byproduct anymore because we don't really know what's in spam, and I think it's better off for us not to know. But, but, uh, but in the 90s, that term changed, and, and all of a sudden, when people talked about spam, it was something completely different, and it actually became a verb. People would talk about getting spammed, and, oh, man, I got spammed, and that didn't mean that people were throwing meat at them. That meant that they one day went into their office or they pulled up their home computer and they opened up their email and they had all this junk email that they didn't want. It, it wasn't anything that they sent off for to get information about it. It wasn't anything that, w that they would really want to, to, to know about. And in fact, a lot of times, if, and you know this if you've gotten spam, a lot of times it's stuff that you don't want to talk about at the dinner table that people are sending you information about. It's about how to make things smaller and bigger and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so spam was just bad news in the 90s when, uh, when at first people started having problems with email. Well, now we have spam folders and, and filters and we try to keep that away. But, but spam now represents anything that comes into your life that you didn't want. Anything that comes along that, that, that you weren't asking for and it's stuff that aggravates you and you wish that you could get rid of it. Well, for our lives, a lot of times it can be like that because we get spam in our lives. We get stuff that comes along and, and it's, it's not stuff that we would have wanted. You, you will have something that will happen to you in the course of a week. You didn't plan on it. You would never have planned on it. And, and it's stuff that kind of throws you for a loop. And, and it can be any number of things, and that's what we're going to talk about this month, different things that come into our lives unwanted uh, and, and how we have to deal with them. And, and the first thing that we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about tragedy, about when tragedy comes into our life. If you're like me, you probably spent some time this past spring, in, in the uh, later part of the spring, looking at the TV and watching footage from Alabama and Missouri when tornadoes came through both sections of those sections of both of those states and just cut a path of destruction it was tragic people lost homes and they lost family members and and uh, they lost the lives of their friends and it was just a, a terrible terrible tragic situation that was something that none of those folks when they woke up that morning they said you know what by the end of the day i'm going to be homeless and my wife's going to be dead from a tornado and they had no idea it was coming it was a tragedy 
It was tragic. And things will happen to all of us like that, maybe on a lesser scale. But you've all probably had to deal with certain types of tragedy in your life, whether it's losing a loved one or, or, or the suicide of a friend or, or a, a marriage coming to an end that you didn't expect or a bankruptcy or losing a job or all these different things come into our lives that are, for at the time that they happen, they're tragic. We didn't see them coming. We, we wouldn't have wanted them. We never would have asked for that to happen to us. Well, there's a, t- a story in the Old Testament that I want us to, uh, to talk about today that I think we can learn some lessons about how to deal with tragedy when it comes into our life. And it's a story about these three guys, and I, I don't know if you've heard them before, but their names are uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and, and Azariah. These three guys, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they were, they were young guys living in, uh, in the country of, of Judah, um, which is where Jerusalem was. It, it had been Israel, and then, and then Israel, and, and, and they got mad at each other, and they split into two countries. So you had Judah, and you had Israel. It was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and Jerusalem was in the country of Judah. And, and so these three guys, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they're living there. Everything seems to be going good. And then a neighboring country, Babylon, comes and, and, uh, and, and invades their country. And an invading army comes in, takes over the country, does away with the king of Judah. And not only uh, do, does it, do they do away with the king of Judah, but they, they kidnap people and they take them back to live in Babylon. And so these three guys were three of the ones that got kidnapped. And so they get kidnapped, they get taken back, so they're taken away from their, from their families, they're taken away from their friends. They had probably lost family members and friends in this war. Their country didn't exist anymore. And so it was just a, it was a tragic, tragic time for them, something that they never would have expected to happen in, in their lives. And while they got over there, they were even given new names. Instead of being Hananiah, Hananiah was now called Shadrach. And instead of being Mishael, Mishael was now called Meshach. And instead of Azariah, what was Azariah's new name? Anybody know? Abednego. Some of y'all went to Sunday school as kids. Good job. And if you, heard, if you went to Sunday school as a kid, you would remember how, what this story is about and kind of what happens. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But here's what I want us to focus on. One of the things that happens when we do these great Old Testament stories in Sunday school is they become kind of like this fairy tale to us. They kind of become to us the same as like Jack and the Beanstalk or one of those stories because you heard all of those when you were kids. Here's the difference. These three were real guys, and their story is completely true. So what the Bible says about this is true. And so the lessons that we learn, even though we learn them as kids, that doesn't make them any less real than they are for us as adults. And so we're going to talk today about what we can learn about dealing with tragedy. These three guys had to deal with tragedy. We're going to look at how they dealt with it because it's a great story of about how God and the power of God and our faith in the power of God can help us overcome tragedy. So I'm going to sit down for a minute because I'm going to read the first 15 verses of Daniel chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Daniel. That's in the Old Testament. And it's after Job, Psalm, Proverbs. You keep going to your right. When you get Psalms, it's right in the middle of your Bible. If you open it up, it's right in the middle. Keep going to your right and you'll get to the book of Daniel. And I'm going to read these 15 verses and talk just a little bit and then, and then we'll talk about um, what we can learn about tragedy from these. Daniel chapter 3, starting with verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, it's a bad name to be given as a child. Um, Anyway, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide 
and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, what you need to know is King Nebuchadnezzar is the same king that was in charge of his country invading Judah. So he's the guy that was out. He was power hungry. He was taking over other countries, all of that kind of stuff. And he's a man of extremes. You see that throughout the scripture. He's, he's extremely mad, extremely, you know, one way or the other. He's a man of extremes. And building a 90-foot high, 9-foot wide image, golden image, and, and we don't necessarily know what the image is of. Some people think that it was an image of himself, but they're not, we're not certain about that. But it was some type of golden image that he built. And, and 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, chances are it was bigger than anything else in the whole country. So this was a huge thing. A man of extremes built an extremely large statue. Then verse 2. It says, He summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he has set up. Now what you need to know is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, after they got in Babylon, they were hard workers, they were smart guys, they were top of their class kind of guys. And so King Nebuchadnezzar put them to work. So they were in, in, they were in this group of people who would be called advisors. So they were supposed to come to this dedication of this image like everyone else. Verse 3. So the satraps, prefects, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. Now notice, see, they had taken over a lot of countries, and they had brought a lot of people from different countries into Babylon. So they're saying here, it doesn't matter where you came from, it doesn't matter who your gods were before, all of you, no matter what language you spoke before you got here, you're supposed to do what I'm about to tell you to do to this, to this golden image. So what was it they were telling you to do? Verse 5, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So they were going to play some kind of song. They had a band, kind of like our band, I guess. They're going to play a song. I've always thought that the song would be something kind of like what Cool and the Gang sang. You know, it'd be like, bow down to it, come on and bow down to it. It's 90 feet tall, bow down to it. Or you'll get thrown in a fire, or that kind of thing. So, verse 6. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Verse 7. Therefore... As soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Of course they did. They had just been told that if they didn't, they were going to be burned alive into a blazing furnace. So King Nebuchadnezzar got almost 100% cooperation with his plan. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, I told you before that King Nebuchadnezzar is a man of extremes. So how do you think he reacted to this? Well, verse 13, we see. Furious with rage, 
Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now we're going to get to the end of the story in just a minute because the way these guys responded is my favorite part of the whole story. But I think there's a couple of things we can learn even before we get to the good part of the story. And the first thing I think we can learn about dealing with tragedy is this. God is in control. God is in control. See, there's a part of the story that I didn't read to you in just a minute that I'm going to read to you in a minute, uh, in in just a second here. But here's what you need to know. God is in control of your life when things are going great and and life is sunny and, and all the world is like being on vacation. And the same God is in control of your life when things stink and when you wish you didn't have to get up in the morning. God is still in control of your life when it's both ways. See, the the beginning of the story in Daniel chapter 1, look at the screen. This is what the very first two verses, the first two verses of the whole book of Daniel, before we ever get to Daniel chapter 3, this is how the book of Daniel begins. It says this, Daniel 1, 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That's what I just talked about a while ago. He comes in and takes over. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Look back at the beginning of verse 2 again. It says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The worst thing that had ever happened in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's young life, the fact that they're they got pulled out of their homes, the fact that their country got taken over, the absolute worst thing that they could have ever imagined, God allowed it to take place. The God that they love, the God that they faithfully serve, the God that they, that they have all confidence in to take care of them, He's the reason He allowed them to be in this situation. Now, you might say, wait a minute, Cliff, I don't know if that's true or not, but, but that's true for our lives too. Because if, here's what we believe about God. If you believe that God is all-powerful, which He is, and if you believe that God knows everything, which He does, then everything that happens, then He has to allow it to take place. Because if God knows about it, it doesn't take Him by surprise. Whatever tragedies happen in your life, I know it took you by surprise. I've had things happen in my life that when I got the news, it literally took my breath away. To where there, there's a one time in my life I can remember where I got some news from someone and, and I hung up the phone and I began to hyperventilate and I've never done that before in my life. And it was because it was so shocking and it was like my, my heart had been ripped out and it completely took my breath away. That event did not take God by surprise because He knows everything that's going to happen. So not only does He know it's going to happen and He's powerful enough to stop it if He wants to, So anything that happens to us is because he allowed it to take place. God is in control. When things are terrible, he's in control, and he's he's in control when things are good. And see, it's real easy for us as followers of Christ to, when things are great, to talk talk about how, well, yeah, God's in control, and man, this all worked out because it happened the way I wanted it to work out. 
But if it hadn't happened the way you wanted to work out, God's still in control. He's still God. There's a term that, that big smart theologians who are smarter than me use, they talk about God being sovereign, which means God can do whatever he wants to do because he's God. Now, why do those things happen? We don't know the answer to all of that. And we can debate that from years on end. And, and sometimes things work out the way you want them. Sometimes you pray that someone will be cured of cancer, and they are. Sometimes you pray that someone will be cured of cancer, and they don't make it. Sometimes you, you want things to turn out well in your marriage, and you do all that you can, and it works out. Sometimes you do all you can, and it still doesn't work out. And, and, and God is still in control of both of those situations. Why do things work out that way? We don't know the answer to all of that. But we have to accept the fact that God is a good God, that God loves us, and he's still in control no matter what. And that was the situation here for these guys. See, one of the things that happens is, is that when, when things are going well, we don't give God a lot of credit. But when things go bad, we'll shake our fist at him. Have a plane crash and watch people be upset about how God could allow this to happen. They don't ever say the hundreds of planes that take off and land safely every day, they don't ever say, this plane made it because God allowed that plane to make it. But if one goes down, we begin to say, how could a cruel God kill babies and women and children and men and grandfathers and grandmas and all this kind of stuff? And we want to blame him for all the bad stuff that happens. We want to give him the credit when things go the way we want them to go. God is in control. And see, even though your circumstances might have changed in your life, even though today is a bad day for you uh, and last week was a good day for you, God's still the same. He's the same God last week as he is today. He's the same God in the storm as he is when things are sunny and beautiful outside. The second thing that I think we can learn out of the scripture is this. There will be chances for you to reject Jesus. When you're in the middle of a tragedy, there will be chances for you to reject Jesus. And we're going to talk about the chances that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to turn away from what they knew was true in just a second. But here, here's the reality. If you, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, we're all going to struggle with doubt from time to time. It's natural. There's going to be times when things will happen and, and it'll just create a little bit of doubt in your mind. Even if you've been following Jesus for a long time, even if you read the scripture every day, there's going to be some times when you feel alone. There's going to be some times when you feel like maybe God has let you down. And you're going to have some doubt about the goodness of God. You're going to have some, some doubt about the grace of God. And, and that's a natural thing that happens to all of us from time to time. And the thing about tragedy is, when tragedy comes into our life, tragedy is fertile soil for doubt. Because if we're not careful, when tragedy happens to us, that doubt can grow and grow in that, in that fertile soil until, until the fruit that is, 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 is created from that is us actually wanting to reject Jesus and turn away from what we know to be true. There were two different uh, specific situations in the story we just read where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had an easy chance to reject God. The first one was in verse 7 where it says, Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the people's nations and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Do you realize how easy it would have been 
for these three guys to just go ahead and bow down with everybody else. It would have been the easiest thing in the world to do that. They were literally the only three guys that didn't do it. And so everyone else is bowing down. They're worshiping this image of gold and all this kind of stuff. It would have been so easy for them just to bow down with everyone else. And they could have even justified it while they were doing it. They could have said, you know what? I don't really mean this. I've got my fingers crossed. God knows what's in my heart. I'm just going to bow down here. Me and God got this secret thing going that I'm not really rejecting him, even though I'm doing what everybody else is doing. And that's, the, that's what they could have done. The same thing that we tend to do sometimes. We'll take actions that, that on the outward, we're rejecting what we know to be true, but we inwardly we're saying, yeah, but the reason I'm doing it is because of this and this. And I wouldn't normally do it, but I am because of this situation. They could have rejected God so easily in that situation. And then, as if things weren't, couldn't have gotten any worse, you know, they, they survived that, and they might have even walked away from there and thought, whew, man, I thought we was going to get thrown in a blazing furnace, but it looks like we lucked out on that one. Then somebody tattles on them, which nobody ever likes a tattletale, right? In verse 15, it says this. They get called to come face to face with Nebuchadnezzar. And he says this to them. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now the chance to reject God is even stronger because they're standing face to face with the guy who apparently has the ability to save their life or end their life. The way the circumstances look, King Nebuchadnezzar has all the power. With one decision from him, they're going to be dead or they're going to live. And so if there was ever an opportunity to where I'm sure they felt a pull towards rejecting what they knew to be true. This had to be it. Because they, they were trying to save their lives here. If, if they, they could have said, you know what, all we got to do is bow to it and, and move on, at least we'll still be alive, then we can do a lot of good later on for God. But they had an opportunity to reject. And in your life, when tragedy comes into your life, you're, there's going to be opportunities for you to reject the grace of Jesus. There's going to be opportunities where you're going to feel like you're all alone and you will have the chance to turn away from what you know to be the truth. But what you've got to remember is that circumstances are not always what they appear. See, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the circumstances looked like Nebuchadnezzar had all the power. But who really had all the power? Who did we just talk about is really in control of the situation? God is. So even as Nebuchadnezzar mocks God and says, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? What he didn't realize was that if God wanted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to live, he was going to make them live. If he wanted them to die, then they were going to die. And it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar's decision. And what we know happened is we know that they did get thrown into the fiery furnace, if you remember from Sunday school. And that while they were in the fiery furnace, you know what they did? They just hung out in there and walked around. And it says there was a fourth person in there with them who most people believe that that was the image of, of Christ in there with them. And so they're in the furnace hanging out, walking around. They come out, and it says when they got out that, that uh, not only were they not burnt, but their clothes didn't even smell like they'd been standing next to a campfire. That's how big God is, and, and God can do whatever he wants to do. But for these guys, they had an opportunity to reject what they knew was true because the circumstances seemed bad. Your circumstances might seem like God's abandoned you. 
Your circumstances might seem like that, that what you've believed for years is not true, but circumstances can fool you. Um, I try not to use sports examples all the time uh, because I want you to think that I'm a little bit deeper than just watching sports, but I do lot, watch a lot of sports. And also, when we first started the church, I used sports examples like first five weeks, and I had a lady come up to me and say, are you ever going to talk about anything other than sports? But just hold on, ladies. There is one example I thought of for this about circumstances. Just, just last month, there was the uh, NBA Finals. And I don't know how many of you watched that. There was a guy playing in the NBA Finals, maybe some of you have heard of. His name is LeBron James, right? And uh, you can boo if you want to. It's all right. But anyway, he, uh, he decided to take his talents to South Beach, was his exact words. And, uh, and so everybody watched him this year in the Miami Heat, which the team was he was on, and they should have won everything. They had three of the best players in the league, and circumstances looked like they were the best. Then they played this team called the Dallas Mavericks, who had one foreign dude that always lost in the first round and, you know, didn't seem like he was much of a leader, and some older guys on the team that, that nobody really wanted anymore. And they had these two teams playing. And looking at it, there was no, from the outside, based on what the circumstances looked like, it looked like the Dallas Mavericks should not have had any chance against the Miami Heat. It should have been like a first round, you know, I mean, I mean a, a four-game sweep, and that would have been it. But there were some things going on that on the outside we couldn't see, evidently, that Dallas really had some, some desire to win this, this, this series that we didn't know about, and Miami must have had some internal problems going on, and Dallas had some better coaching that you couldn't really see from, from the outside. And so all of this stuff comes together, and what seemed to be true on the outside with the circumstances wasn't true, and Dallas won. They beat Miami in six games uh, because, because of just stuff that we couldn't see. Now, your circumstances in your life from the, from the outside, they might look like, well, it's all going to go this direction. There's no way it's going to be different. I can't imagine any way. But there's things going on inside that you don't know about. There's stuff that God's got working in your life that you're not privy to the information yet. And just like King Nebuchadnezzar said, listen, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand, your circumstances might look like there's nothing that can happen. Nobody's going to be able to rescue me from this. But God's at work, and God can do whatever he wants to do. And you have an opportunity to reject Jesus in the midst of that tragedy, but don't do it because he is working for your good even in the midst of the bad. Now, let's get to the, to the end part of the story that I really like. So, so these guys... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have, have been taken from their homes, all this bad stuff. Now they're face-to-face -face with King Nebuchadnezzar, and he says to them, I'm going to throw you in the fire if you don't do what I say. No God will be able to rescue you. How do they respond? Here's my favorite part of the story, and it's some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Check out how these guys respond. Verse 16, verse 16 of Daniel 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. That's cool, isn't it? And that's what we like to say when things, man, it doesn't matter what happened, God is going to take care of me. And all of us can say that. Now, here's the next, the next thing that they say, I don't know if all of us can say. Because check out what they say after this. First thing they say, hey, God's going to save us. He's big enough to save us. But check out what they say after that, verse 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That's hardcore. 
Because what they're saying is, God can save us. But even if we burn to death, we want you to know that as we're burning to death, we're praising God and not you and any gold image or any other God that you've set up. Because none of those are true. That's who we are. We're people that are going to stand on what God has told us, even if we die. Now, I don't know about you, but I love stories like that. And how were they able to do that? Well, here's, here's the thing I think we need to remember when we're in the midst of tragedy. Staying faithful is easier when you remember that Jesus has already won. Staying faithful is easier when you remember that Jesus has already won. I love to hear stories about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, I'll stand even if I die. One of my favorite movies is Braveheart because just I love that whole ending scene where, where they're trying to get him to denounce what he's been standing for and they're, they're literally torturing him and the very last thing that he, he yells out is the name of this church. He doesn't say Freedom Fellowship, but he just says Freedom. And, uh, but he yells out Freedom because that's what he's been standing for even though they're going to kill him and they do kill him. And when I watch that, I get inspired because I think somebody believed in something enough to give their life for it. And that's the way we should be. And how is it that these guys were able to do that? The reason they were able to do it was because they knew live or die, they were secure. God was going to take care of them, live or die. And for us as followers of Christ, if we will remember that Jesus has already won. See, Jesus died on a cross. Jesus died on a cross to, to pay for your sin. And he didn't stay dead, he came back to life. And by doing that, he won already. He's already taken care of it. And if you've accepted Christ and you've accepted his forgiveness, then when you die and you leave this place, you're secure. You're going to have a place in heaven forever. And so what can anybody do to you now? That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saying. Dude, kill us. We don't care. We're going to be with God if you kill us. And God can save us if he wants to, but if he doesn't, we're going to be fine. In fact, we're going to be better than fine. We're going to be better off than we are now. There's, a, there's a, the best biblical example of this is, uh, is the Apostle Paul. And uh, the Apostle Paul is the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. Most of the books in the New Testament were written by him. And in one of those books that he wrote, the book of Philippians, chapter 1, it says this. Philippians 1, 20 and 21, Paul said this. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul said, if I live, then everything I do will exalt Jesus. And if I die, I'll exalt Jesus in that. But that's, that's what I'm going to do. It doesn't matter if you kill me, I'm going to exalt Jesus. It doesn't matter if I live 50, 60, 70 more years, I'm going to exalt Jesus. And Paul lived that way. There's a story in Acts chapter 14 where, where Paul was preaching in this town named Lystra. And while he's preaching there, the people got mad at what he was preaching. And so they started to, uh, to stone him. And just so you know, that doesn't mean they were offering him like some really premium weed or anything like that. It means they were picking up rocks and throwing it at him, trying to kill him. And so, so they're, they're, there's this large crowd of people, and they're, they're throwing rocks at him, trying to kill him. And it says that they, they were so successful in, in hitting him with rocks that, that they drug him onto the outskirts of the city and left him for dead. They thought they had killed him. They thought they were successful in stoning Paul. You know what it says next that the Apostle Paul did? It says that he got up and went back in the city. Not only did they not kill him, but they didn't discourage him. 
He said, you're going to try to kill me? Fine. I'm going back into the same place where people just threw rocks at me, and I'm going to go back and teach the same message I was teaching before. Because for Paul, it didn't matter if you killed him or not. He was not going to turn his back on what he knew to be true because he understood that Jesus had already won his victory. You see, if we can get to that point to where we say, just having Jesus is enough for us, then nobody can do anything to us after that. If just having Jesus is enough for you, then if you get fired, yeah, it's going to be difficult, but life's not going to be over. If you get cancer, it's going to be difficult, but it's not going to be the end of your world. If you lose a loved one, it's going to be extremely hard, but you're going to be able to make it through it if just having Jesus is enough. So for Paul... You stone me, I'm not going to turn my back. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if God doesn't save us, we won't bow down to that idol. You know, if you get a, a, an illness, we're not going to reject the grace of God. If the stock market crashes and you lose 85% of your net worth in a week and a half, I'm not going to turn my back on what Scripture says. If you have an accident and, and you or your child can't walk for the rest of your life, I'm going to trust God that he's going to carry us through the rest of this life. And so that's how we get through tragedy. Not because tragedy is easy, not because tragedy is fun, not because we want tragedy to happen to us, not because we ask for it to happen to us, but because we know that God's in control and that he's a good God. We know that Jesus has already won our victory for us. And no matter what happens, we will never, ever reject him. Chris said something a while ago uh, when he was praying that's very true. If you have not experienced tragedy, one day you will. If somehow you have glided or glid, is it glid or glided? If you've slid through this life up to this point and everything's been roses for you, that's awesome. But one day something will happen that you don't want to happen. And there's different levels of tragedy. Not all of us experience the, the worst things that we can experience. But one day you're going to lose a loved one. One day there's going to be an illness. One day there's going to be a job loss. There's going to be a, a, a house loss. There's going to be something that's going to happen. Because this life, we cannot escape all of that. And so if you're not in the midst of it now, begin to pray now that when you do go through the midst of it, that you will glorify God in the middle of it that you will exalt Christ even as you go through tragedy, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Now remember, God delivered them. God can deliver you if he wants to. But even if God didn't deliver them, they had made up their mind. There was no way they were going to reject what they knew to be true. I want us to pray. And if, um, just, I'm thinking, I was thinking about a couple of different groups of people that might be here today. One is maybe you're, you're kind of in the middle of something like that. You came in here today and you're kind of floundering and got a lot of doubts. Just as I pray, as, as you sit there and pray, ask God to, to put those doubts aside for you. Lay those things at, at His feet. Tell Him that you trust Him, even though you can't see how it's all going to turn out. 
The other, other group of people that might be here today is if, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. If, if you just showed up here today and you came because somebody invited you, but, but no, you don't believe any of this and, and, uh, and you don't really have a relationship with Jesus, um, then you're, you're going through life on your own. And when tragedy comes, you're, you're going to really have a hard time making it through. And you need to have your sins forgiven. Scripture says that all of us have sinned. Me, you, your grandmother, everybody. We've all sinned. The only way that can be taken care of is by believing that Jesus died on the cross and believing that he rose again and giving your life to him. So I'm going to say a prayer. And while I'm praying, you just do whatever it is you need to do with God. You talk with him however you need to talk with him. And when we're done today, if you pray and ask Christ to forgive you of your sins, I want to know about that. Come, I'll be down front here. I have a spam shirt on. I'm easy to locate. Come talk to me. Come grab one of these guys on the stage. Grab a hold of Donnie, who was up here making announcements earlier. Grab a hold of anybody that you see here every week if you come and just say, hey, I accepted Christ. I asked him to forgive me. I need your help. And we'll tell you what to do next. But let's say a prayer. And the band will come up and we'll go out of here celebrating the goodness of our God. Father God, thank you that you're always the same and that you're consistent. That you're God when our lives are going the way we want them to and you're God when things take us by surprise and our circumstances look dire. Help us to always trust you when we doubt, Lord, Pray that we would not dwell on those doubts, that we would not allow those doubts to grow, but that we would turn to your to your word, to scripture, that we would put truth into our minds and to our hearts, and that would overcome our doubts. Thank you that you died for us. You didn't have to do that. Thank you that you rose again. And we believe that the power of that was in you when you rose again is the same power that we can have in our own lives. You're a good God and we love you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.